All right, thank you, Christian and Patrick. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Well, graduation Sunday is coming up, and I started thinking about what to share for the graduates. I've had 12 sermons here. Can you believe that? So as I began to look through, I don't want to repeat what I've preached, but some, some of it you want to. You could use it again. Nevertheless, I started thinking, what are some things that we could challenge each other with Uh, to help encourage us to live our life more faithfully for the Lord. And I landed on the life of a man named King Saul. Now, I'm sure if you've studied your Bible, you know who King Saul is. He was actually the first chosen king in the nation of Israel. But there's something that we want to learn from his life, and that is, how do you finish well? I mean, don't all of us want to finish well? And one man said this, and I thought it was really good. I summarized his thought. One of the best ways to learn to finish well is by studying the lives of those who didn't. Now, it's not put there to discourage us, but God does write down the flaws in people's lives, and he lets us read them, and he allows us to see them for a reason, and that is so that we can learn from them and not repeat them. Now, if you're a psychologist or a psychology major, uh, you would love King Saul because he is actually a test case in psychology. I spent some time reading some of the psychiatric journals this week that dealt with Saul, and they gave him about 15 different disorders. But by the time we get finished, you're going to see what his major problem was, and that was disobedience to God. And that ultimately led him down. So as we study his life, that's something to remember. A man writing in a leadership book, his name is James Abramson, I think. I read it this week, and I thought, what timing God brought into my life. He says this, one of the great challenges you will face in your own in your life is failures. He's writing a letter to a young man in ministry, and he tells him, one of the great challenges you will face is your own failures. Expect to grow in your knowledge of your own depravity. Now, are y'all listening to me? He's telling this young man, the older you get, the more magnified your sin is going to become. Notice what he says. As you grow in your faith, do not be surprised if you feel a greater need of grace than when you started. I read this book some 12 years ago, and I had actually underlined it in red. I told my wife... When I went back through it this week, I'm underlining it in a different color. And it just, it just hit me. I had read that once, but somehow I had forgotten it. Now I'm 10 or 12 years older, and I realize this is so much more true. The older we get in the Lord, the more we see our sin, and the more we need His grace. Then he writes this, Remember that David killed the giant when he was young in ministry but killed an innocent servant while stealing his wife when he was old in ministry. Don't follow his example, but be careful to learn from it. Something similar can happen to the best of us if we lower our guard. Now, how true that is in our life. And by the way, none of us are exempt. I actually have a quote in here from a man who's a Christian leader who talked about 
that starting out good is not what's important. It's longevity to finish well. Well, after he died, we found out he didn't finish well. But he sure had a good quote. But the point is, is that all of us have to be on guard or we can become subject to this problem. Now, what I want to do is I want you to turn to 1 Samuel. You'll have to do it in your Bible, okay? I didn't put all this on the screen because I would have had a hundred slides. And there, I'm going to just quote quickly, state 13 advantages that Saul had as the first king in the nation of Israel. And then we're going to go through these and then we're going to learn some lessons from his life in part one. Part two's coming up next week and it's the better message, okay? But I have to lay the groundwork. Now, what happened? I'm going to give you some history, so you've got to track with me. God chose Abraham to be the founder of a nation that he was going to bring the blessing of Jesus into the earth from. We know them as the Jews. In Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, he made a covenant with them, and he told them, told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, a blessing, and a seed, and you are going to be used... And you're going to bless all nations. In Exodus, when God told the children of Israel he was going to lead them out of the promised land, he made a a covenant with them. We call it the Mosaic Covenant, or we call it the Ten Commandments. And God gave them ten commands. Can you all quote them? Just say, yeah. You can quote them. He gave them ten commandments that would set them apart from all the nations. And in those, in those Ten Commandments, if the nation of Israel obeyed God, he would make them the head of all nations. And he would bless them, he would keep them in the land if they would obey him. What happened? Well, it didn't go very far. As a matter of fact, in the middle of giving the Ten Commandments, they decided to have a wild party, and Aaron created a golden calf, and it went haywire. Moses busted the the tablets. God had to write them again, took him back up on the mountain, and then all of a sudden Israel gets ready to go into the promised land. Well, they go into the land, and guess what happens? Instead of becoming a light to the nations, they become like the nations. And so God begins to have to judge them. When people began to invade them, when their gas became high, when other problems came and the stock market crashed, and I'm really not kidding here, folks. I'm saying God was judging this nation when they began to have problems and then they became subject to the nations who were invading them. They began to cry out to God for help. Do you know what God did? He raised up for them leaders. They were called judges. Now this is important because during this period of time, There is a key phrase throughout the book of Judges that says this, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Kind of sounds like 2022, doesn't it? I mean, we just do what is right in our own eyes and we don't really care what God, anybody else has to say about it because it's all about me. And this is how they lived. And so they went in cycles, and God would send them leaders. And sometimes to their shock and dismay, he would send them leaders that they never dreamed who could deliver them, but did. An example would be Gideon. 
Gideon was the scaredest man in the Bible. Every time he moved, he had to ask God for a sign. It's, it's an amazing journey when you track his life, but God ended up using Gideon in an amazing way. Now, you get through the book of Judges, and the nation of Israel is now crying out to God, saying, we want a king like the other nations. Now, God is going to answer their question, and he's going to answer their request when they begin asking for a king, and he's going to give them a man named Saul. Do you know what Saul means? It means asked for. God gave the nation of Israel exactly what they asked for. A big, tall, handsome, well-spoken, good-looking leader who they thought was going to solve all of their problems. God gave them exactly what they wanted. And guess what they ended up getting? Exactly what they wanted. Because they wanted a king like the other nations, guess what? God was going to give them a man just like the other nations. But my point is, Saul did not start out that way. By the way, is it hot in here? Can, can we cut that just a little? Some of you will be freezing, some of you will be burning up. But when I see people passing out, I know you just as well go ahead and turn the air conditioner on. Okay, so... Now let's look quickly at 13 advantages that Saul had. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and I'm going to start reading uh, down my list, and you can kind of track with me here. First of all, he came from an affluent family. Notice what verse 1 says. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Apheth, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. So his father was a very wealthy man. Notice the second thing. He was very attractive. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He was the guy that all the girls liked. I mean, you know, in Israel, all they had a bunch of short people. They always wanted somebody tall, so they would always look and say, oh, his head's sticking way above everybody else. He's the one we want. And so I'm sure all the girls in high school chased him around. Third, here's a great quality about Saul. He listened to his parents. Notice what his dad tells him to do. His dad sends him on a mission to go and search for some missing donkeys. Now, by the way, donkeys were important in this time. This would be like somebody borrowing your car, okay, and taking it out. Or if you farm, they came and got your tractor and it, it took off. So you, got, you had to have the donkeys to, to operate. So the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you, arise and go look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the hill country and off Ephraim, and he was searching for the donkeys. There's a fourth advantage that he had, and that was he was concerned about his father. If you look in verse 5, after a few days of looking, they could not find the donkeys. So Saul began to get concerned that his dad would worry about him. Now kids, are you listening? Be a good child and don't make your parents worry about you. This was a good plight for Saul. Mom and dad, I'm, I'm going to be late, you know, text. I'm going to be late coming home, I'm fine. 
We always tell our kids, you know, by the way, if you're going to be late coming home, please don't speed. Please don't, don't feel like you have to get here at the curfew and risk your life and everybody else's to get here. If something happens and, and you're going to be late, message us and let us know. But don't, don't do dumb. Don't do things you're going to regret. So Saul did not want his father to worry. Now, unfortunately, he didn't have a cell phone, so he couldn't text him. But notice what he says. When he came to the land of Zuf, he said to his servant who was with him, Come and let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. And every parent says, Amen, when your kid's out gone. We do get anxious for them. He had some very good advantages, some very good qualities about him. Notice also that he was selected by the hand of God. Now, go down to verse 15, because I'm going to skip some of this, because I've got to get to the point. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be the prince over my people Israel. Now, I can't get into this, but you should circle the word prince. Why does that not say king? Because they were wanting a king. Anyway, you shall anoint to him a prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of literary analysis here. Are you ready? For those of you who are familiar with the book of Judges, what happens? The people cry out. God hears their cry. He answers them by sending them a deliverer. Okay? What the writer of 1 Samuel is doing, although he's listing these advantages of Saul, he's showing you he's just like the judges before. I mean, he's actually a continuation, a carryover from the judges. And he's going to turn out to be just like one of the judges. He's going to have some serious character flaws. Notice verse 17. When Samuel saw Saul, boy, that's something to say, isn't it? When heard for, Saul asked for. That's how you would actually say it in Hebrew. The Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Now, by the way, that's an interesting phrase. He is the man who shall restrain my people. You should also underline that one. Are you, are you listening to me? God is going to use this ruler named Saul to judge his people. He's going to do exactly what the prophets said when they talked about the people who lead us are the people that we deserve. And that's exactly what he's given them. He it is who shall restrain my people. God is going to select him and put him over this nation and he is going to be the one who's going to do what this nation actually did not expect. They were expecting something completely different and he gave them the opposite. Saul also had humility. Look in verse 21. Saul answered, you know, this was when Saul, Samuel begins to anoint him. He's going to tell him, you're going to be the king and Saul says, well, who am I? I? Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? You want to make me the king? 
I mean, this is what Saul's saying. No, 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 you got the wrong guy. It's kind of like a pastor when he goes up and asks somebody and says, would you, would you serve and do this? Me? No, no you don't want to. Yeah, we do. He had humility. By the way, somebody made a statement to me one time. Have you all ever heard of false humility? False humility is when you actually want to do something, but you portray yourself in such a way as you, you don't or you're not good enough. And really, it's a, it's a reflection down the heart. So when you exercise false humility, it should be like looking in a mirror going, uh-oh, there I go again. There I go. But Saul had, quote, humility. He was also anointed by Samuel to be the king. Chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be the prince over these people Israel? And then look down in chapter 10, verse 9, God actually changed his heart. The text says here, When he turned back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. In Hebrew, this literally reads, God turned for him another heart. Now, what does that mean? Now, if I had you in theology class, we would begin discussing, does this mean Saul is a believer? Okay, we would have fun because it's an unanswered case. Sometimes God would put his spirit upon people such as Balaam, the false prophet, to make that false prophet do and say things that God was going to make him do. You know, by the way, God is sovereign. And if you don't think he is, then you don't know the God of the Bible. He can act upon and do things that we don't understand or we may not even approve of. But God did, in fact, put his spirit upon several people in the Old Testament And he caused them to do exactly what he wanted them to do. So in this text, what we see is that he was anointed to be the king and God's spirit came upon him. In the Old Testament, folks, that does not mean always salvation. It can mean empowering. When you get to the New Testament after Jesus died, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life is different than he was in the Old Testament. You have to understand this about the Bible or you'll be utterly confused. You'll be going around saying, take not your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. You know, don't pray that. God's not going to take the Holy Spirit from you if you're a believer. That was this, David was praying for this anointing for kingship. When Samuel anointed Saul, the Spirit of God also came upon him. You remember when David was anointed and then he went and sinned? What did he pray to God in Psalm 51? Take not your spirit from me. Help me enjoy my kingship, my salvation, my deliverance. He wasn't talking about his eternal security. Okay, that's a whole other subject. But I'm I'm trying to share with you there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the relationship of the Spirit in our life. But God changed this man's heart. He gave him the Spirit. He changed his heart. And then he also rushed upon him. You can read in verses 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. So he was empowered by God's Spirit. He also prophesied. And now here's something amazing about him because when they had put him forward as king, there were some people in the back 
who were back there talking about him, saying, we'll not have that rascal. There's no way. He'll not rule over us. Well, in chapter 10, verse 27, something happens, and that is these people are pointed out. But some of the worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But notice what the text says. He held his peace. So at this point in Saul's life, he wasn't eat up with revenge. If people opposed his leadership, people opposed his direction, people opposed his ministry, Saul was very gracious and kind and just said, you know what? If, if, if they don't like me and they don't like, okay, I understand that. It's, it's all fine. We'll do no harm. He was also concerned for the needs of his people. If you look in chapter 11, verse 5, boy, I'm covering some territory, aren't I? Aren't y'all proud of me? Y'all want to beat the Methodists out to lunch today, don't you? He, he says in verse 5, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and he said, What is wrong with these people? That they are weeping. So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. Now if you don't know the story, here's what happened. The Ammonites came to the people in Israel who were from Jabesh and said, we're going to come in and whip up on you. And they said, oh, well, we don't want you to do that. How can you not do that? They said, well, here's how. You come over here, we'll gouge your right eyeball out. You let us poke your right eye out, and then you become our servants, and we won't kill you. Now let me ask you a question. If you had no weapons, no tools, no instruments, no firearms, no Second Amendment, you didn't live in America, and you were against these mean people who did, and they won't come up and beat up on you, what would you do? You'd probably be crying too, wouldn't you? I would, because I wouldn't want somebody to poke my right eyeball out. By the way, folks, this wasn't a nice time to live. When kings subjected people, do you know what they would do to them? I, I taught my boys this when they were young. They'd poke their right eye out, they'd cut their right thumb off, and they'd cut their big toes off. You know why they would do that? Well, you can't, you can't grip a sword with no thumb. You can't run with no big toe. And you can't see to, to shoot with no right eye. You're incapacitated. You're a, you're a slave the rest of your life. And this is what happened. Saul heard this and he was infuriated. He said, you know what? I'll fight. Now remember that. Remember how he gets all worked up here because there's going to come another man named Goliath pretty soon and he's not going to want to fight him. And by the way, God always kept the nation of Israel. He never allowed them to multiply chariots or horses or weapons. You want to know why? Because he made the nation of Israel fully dependent upon him. He was their warrior. He was their victor. And if they were going to win, it was going to be because God gave them the victory. Okay, so he cared about the needs of people. He was empowered by the Spirit of God. He went and actually fought these people, and he won. You can read the story. And then, at the end of this great victory, they're getting ready to celebrate Saul's kingship. And if you look in chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said... Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them out that we may put them to death. You know, look at this great king that we had. He went in and defeated them, and that's the man we want. And anybody that doesn't like him, we're ready to kill. What does Saul say? Saul said, 
Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Admirable qualities. Now what do you do with that? Here's a man. He has a, he has a great start. He has a good family. He has all the skills, all everything necessary to accomplish a task for God like no one else. Wouldn't you think he was set for life? Now you would, you would hear people, if he was talking to financial advisors and career advisors, they would say, oh my goodness, he came from a nice family home. He had the good background. Now he's got a good job, good security, good position. This guy's got it made. He's got what it takes to get it done. But in fact, Saul was going to blow every opportunity of what he had. I'm going back to our first statement of what the man said. Beware, lest things creep up on us and steal our life away as well, because they can. Now, here is a quote from a man, and listen to what he writes. And by the way, this is, this is from a book. If you're ever going through personal trial where you feel like God has put you under a Saul, and later on you're going to see what I said, because Saul's not always nice. After this first act of disobedience, he turns into a spear thrower. You ever work for a spear thrower? I mean, somebody that's out to pin you to the wall every time you move, actually try to set you up so that you do something foolish so they can have you fired or demoted. If you ever work for a spear thrower, there's a wonderful book, and it's called Three Kings. And it's by this man right here that's where it came from. Listen to what he says. Saul united a people and founded a kingdom. Few men have ever done that. He created an army out of thin air. He won battles in the power of God, defeated the enemy again and again, and few men have ever done that. Remember that, and remember that this man was immersed in the Spirit. Furthermore, he was a prophet. The Spirit came on him in power and authority, and he did and said unprecedented things. And it was all by the power of the Spirit resting on him. He was everything people today are seeking to be. He was empowered with the Holy Spirit. He was able to do the impossible for God. A leader chosen by God with power from God. Saul was given authority that is God's alone. He was God's anointed and God treated him that way. He was also eaten up with jealousy, self-importance, and willing to live in spiritual darkness. This comes from a man named Gene Edwards who wrote the book, A Tale of Three Kings. So what does that tell us? Let's just get this lesson out right now, and I'll just ruin it for the end. What does that teach us right now about us? We can be saved, spirit-filled. We can be walking in the Lord, and at the same time have something living down inside of our nature that is so vicious. It is waiting to eat us alive. Folks, do you understand how many decisions, how many wrong decisions it takes to ruin your life? I want you all to think with me for a minute. How many wrong or bad decisions does it take to ruin your life? One. One wrong, major wrong decision 
can totally ruin your life. I'm going to give you an example. I was in seminary, and the dean of my seminary was a wonderful man. I won't say his name. This man took us to Israel on a trip. We sat near and talked to him. I I just thought he was a, a great guy. Lo and behold, he went to several different places to preach. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Preachers have to watch out for this too. He went to several different places to preach, and his fame became really heightened. He had a great job, great salary, great home. But when he went out to preach, he began exaggerating his stories. Now, I want you to hear me. He had an earned doctorate. He had a tenured position as a dean in the, the largest seminary around. And he had budgets and money galore at his fingertips. Resources was not an option. He goes out to preach, and he begins telling stories and adding things to them that are not true. A certain fact checker in the Christian world, who is he checks everybody. If you say something and this man gets on you, he checks you out up one side and down the other. He began fact-checking him and found out that he was telling lies. He hadn't been here. He hadn't debated with this person. And do you know what happened? He exposed him. He exposed him. He called him initially and said, I found this out about you. And second, he went online, did a couple of podcasts, went online and just told what happened. This man lost his career over exaggerating, lying, if you want to say that, over sermon illustrations. How can I say this more clear? We're not here to impress as preachers. We're here to declare truth. And when it becomes about our following and who likes us and we're the best preacher and we're this, we're preaching for the wrong person. And in our work, in your work, where you work, you are to be honest and tell the truth. Because if you tell lies, you're going down. And if you don't go down in this life, you will at the judgment seat of Christ, even if you belong to Jesus. Because He's going to make it right. And so, we have to stop fooling ourselves thinking that somehow or another we're going to be able to pull the wool over God's eyes or anybody else's because there will come a time when we get exposed. And that's exactly what happens to Saul. His character starts coming out. This is the man, and it grieves me to show you his quote. And I won't read his name unless you can see it. But he says this, Beginning well is a momentary thing. Finishing well is a lifelong thing. Amen. Amen. What are some warning signs of not finishing well? Quickly, number one, Saul was unaware there was a prophet in Israel. If you go back in 9.6, when his servant went to look for a donkey, he said, let's just make this easy. Pull out five bucks, let's go to the seer and ask him where the donkeys are and he'll tell us. And Saul said, 
is there a, is there a prophet here? Are you kidding me? He, he had no spiritual knowledge of what was going on in his day. Clue number one. And by the way, let me just go ahead and say this. If we're not reading our Bible, if we're not praying, if we're not faithfully attending a Bible-teaching church, listening to podcasts, somehow or another getting God's Word into our life, we are setting ourselves up for this same thing, to live our life unaware of what truth really is. There's a second warning sign. Saul did not share about God's calling on his life. I want to turn to this one. It's in chapter 10, verse 15. After Samuel came to Saul and said, God told me you were going to be the anointed king. Right after that, Saul turned and left and went home, and his uncle came to him. And notice what he says. Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But now watch. Are you listening? This is called literary clue. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken... He did not tell him anything. Samuel told him, you're going to be the king. When his uncle asked him, what did he tell you? Oh, he said they found the donkeys. Why didn't he tell him that God was going to make him king? He had been called of God. He was ashamed of the calling of God on his life. Now let me ask you something. I know this pierces, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How many of us are ashamed to say that we are Christians? You know, God may have put us in, in places, prominent places, places where we are in who knows where. And sometimes we may have to say something. But we say, you know what? I mean, now, now hear me closely. You have to use great wisdom, especially in this day. And my point's not to answer your question. My point is simply this. Don't ever be ashamed to tell somebody, Jesus loved you and died for you on the cross And by his grace, you have been saved. If you ever become ashamed of that, we really need to check. Don't ever become ashamed of that. But Saul didn't share. Third, he didn't take his position as king seriously. I'm not going to read this, but on coronation day, when they went to publicly notice him as the king of Israel, guess where he was at? out hiding in the bags. Have mercy in the morning. Somebody said, you know, and by the way, they were casting lots. You can read this. Samuel got all 12 tribes there, started casting lots, got to the tribe of Benjamin, got down to Saul's dad, got all the way to Saul. I mean, there was no question here. The lot was pointing right toward him. And then when they said, it's Saul. Where is Saul? And somebody says, he's out among the baggage. Now, by the way, you'll have to figure out what baggage is here because it can be interpreted a couple of different ways. Was he in the barnyard? Or was he out where they had piled up all the inventory? I'll leave that to you. But there are some clues here that he had some flaws. Number four, he made rash decisions and vows when he's under pressure. By the way, if you work for a boss like this, Lord have mercy on your soul. This is so terrible. Your boss comes in and they're, they got a half fuse anyway and they come in and they're hot mad. Well, I'll just do this. 
And this was kind of how Saul was. He, he had a hard time controlling himself. And in chapter 11, verse 7, he gets so worked up about the people of Ammon that he goes out and he takes an ox and he kills it and chops it up in pieces and sends it by postal mail to all the people in Israel. Now, by the way, do you remember a story like that back in the book of Judges when a man cut up his, uh, and I won't even go into it, you can go read it yourself, he cut up a person and sent that person's body parts out to different people in the land of Israel. Saul is just like him. Down inside his character. Now, are y'all following me? We got this bright, shiny, glowing guy, and then down inside we have this raging monster. What do we do with that? And then finally, over in chapter 13, what did Saul do? Well, the Philistines, his son Jonathan went out and attacked the Philistines. The Philistines got mad and said, we're going to wipe y'all out now. So Saul began to panic. Samuel had apparently been alerted that the Philistines were going to attack, and Saul wanted to know, what should I do? So Samuel tells him, don't do anything for seven days. I will come, and I will offer a sacrifice, and we will ask God what to do. So what does Saul do? And by the way, isn't this interesting about God? God made him wait the entire time. And then some. Now, are we learning anything about God? Have, have you all got God figured out? God is unpredictable. You know, we call him our Heavenly Father, but God the Father is not like our Heavenly Father. Our, our earthly fathers don't want us to suffer they don't want us being in pain. They don't want us having sickness. They don't want us having problems. I don't ever want my children to have that. Okay, that's just in my nature. What do you want me to tell you? That I want them to suffer? I don't want them to do that. But I want to tell you something about God the Father. He'll let you suffer. He'll let you get sick. He'll let things be taken away from you. He'll make you wait till the last minute and then some more. You want to know why? Is it because he's mean? No. He's doing it for our good. Because he knows that there's something that this test is going to do in our life to make us stronger and make us more faithful to him and make us a better witness. He knows that. So he allows it. And that's what he did here. He waited seven full days. And then what happened? Saul goes and creates his own office as prophet. Now he's going to be the priest. He's going to offer the sacrifice. Why does he do that? Well, look down because this is interesting. He wanted to please the people. Verse 8, chapter 13, He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Verse 11. And, Sam, and Saul went out to meet and greet him. 
Verse 11, Samuel said, can't you hear your, your dad saying this to you? What have you done? What have you done? And Saul said, listen closely. Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, look at what's happened in my life and now you're at fault because you didn't come. And that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Here's the text. So I forced myself... And offered the burnt offering. I, I just forced myself. I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. Now notice what Samuel said. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Saul, you would have been the man. You would have been the Benjamite through whom Jesus was to come, you blew it. You blew it. One foolish decision. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Wow! What a lesson! He lied and made excuses about what was wrong. I forget which preacher said it, but he said this, an excuse uh, is something like bones wrapped in just skin. There's just nothing to them. Nothing to them. By the way, these are good lessons, aren't they? Do you know the difference between David and Saul right here? What was the difference? When Saul was confronted about doing wrong, and we're going to see this really next week when he makes a statue to honor himself. Have mercy in the morning. When he was confronted with wrong, he made excuses and told lies. David told the truth. Now hold on so you can get this, because if you don't, you're going to miss it. Down inside each one of us, I'm speaking to me, and I'm certainly speaking to you. Deep down inside each one of us, there is this same character that Saul has. He is in you. He is in me. And when we see that, when we see that cropping up and even wanting to crop up, we should know immediately by the working of the Holy Spirit in us as conviction, don't go there. Don't go there. Stop. So, what are lessons that we learn? Here are just three this week. The, the best ones are next week. But here we go. What are some lessons we learn from this? Number one, just because you start well doesn't mean you will end well. Can I get an amen on that? How many of us know people who didn't end well? This past week, I was, we went somewhere to eat, and I passed a man in the store who worked with me in years past in this town. I wish he would come to church, but I don't think he ever will. 
But he had worked his way all the way up the ladder and then got eyes for another woman while he was married and then went out and slept with her while he was at work. He was caught. He was fired. And he was severely punished. He lost his career. Just because you start well does not mean that you will finish well. By the way, what a lesson to graduates. You got your degree, life's all ahead of you, everything looks peachy and rosy, the world's at your fingertips and your shoulders. Let me tell you something, just because you graduate and you get ready to start well, you may have had a 4.0, I don't care. It takes a long time to walk in faithfulness to end well. You know what? It's day by day and decision by decision. Step by step. The second lesson we learn is that cracks in our character should cause us to move closer to Jesus and submit to the leading of his spirit than to move further away. You know, those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we have living inside of us the spirit of God. He lives in us. The Spirit of God actually works with our conscience. Are you, are you hearing me? This is why it's very, you have to be very cautious about searing your conscience. When you become so hardened in your conscience, the Holy Spirit has, he has a hard time working on a seared conscience. He can do it. But you can so harden yourself that you are not sensitive to God's Spirit anymore. When you sense that hardening in your life, that's when we get on our knees and say, Oh God, my heart is so hard toward you. My heart is, it's, it's not right with you, God. I know you, but my love for you, my desire for holiness and righteousness for you, it's not there, God. It's slipping away. And if you don't do something... I'm going to be like Saul, and I don't want to do that. That takes humility. But when we see that coming out in our life, that is what we must do. And the third lesson that we learn, and may the bells ring loud, may they ring loud, lies and excuses will always, always, take you down. One thing we teach our children, no matter what you did, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. And one of the scariest things as a parent, when you look into the eyes of your child and you know the truth and your child will sit there and lie to you to your face, or your grandchildren, folks. They are liars too. But when they sit there and lie to us, and we know it, what does that do to your heart? You know, I mean, do you laugh and go, oh, oh they're just kids. I mean, oh, no, please don't. Please don't. Please say, oh, this is a character flaw that we have to, we have to address. Because if we don't address this foundational issue, our child will turn out 
like Saul. And we may too, if we are not very cautious. Now, what's my prayer for the week? My prayer for the week and right now, I'm going to ask you to do this for me. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just talk to God about your own life. Can you tell I've had to do this a lot this week? You're just going to bow your head and close your eyes and it's just you and the Lord and I'm going to be quiet here in a minute. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to really honestly evaluate your character, your assessment, your walk with Jesus, if you want to call it that, and begin asking yourself, what, what is it, Lord? Show me what I need to change in my life. Just ask Him. You know, God may be pointing out right now a relationship that you've broken. God may be pointing out a lie that you've told. God may be pointing out something that you've stolen. And you need to make it right. There are all kinds of things God may be pointing out. But whatever it is, just say this, Lord, show it to me. And now, say this, And give me the character and the strength to make this right. Whatever it is to make it right. Because I don't want to be a Saul. Father, you've heard our prayers. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. Now, may we be people who have a heart to tell you the truth about our life, because you already know it. And I pray that you would use this in our hearts and our life to make us more like you. We do not want to be like Saul. We want to be like Jesus. So help us, Father, to humble ourselves and to do what you tell us to do. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.